hey Mike, we got Amory Anos on tonight. Fantastic. And we're going to look at her work as a vet. And her thoughts on emotional intelligence and mental health. And she does a cracking 60-second CPD with some really good practical advice on how to disagree with someone. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does. Yeah, no, she doesn't. Yes, she does. So watch it and learn. <laughs> Enjoy, everyone. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Anne-Marie, hello. Hello, Mike. Hello. We, we were hello, Anne-Marie. Meet Julian. Hello, Julian. Nice to meet you. <laughs> we, have, we have so many questions to ask you, but it all sparks from this, uh, this article that you wrote in In Practice. Um, and there were some buzzwords in that article. And... I don't know whether, should we just start off on one of the buzzwords, which is yeah. uh, emotional intelligence? Yes. Because I, I've i heard of emotional intelligence and people say sometimes, uh, depending on, on what mood I'm in, they say, uh, I think you've got great emotional intelligence, or they say, you have absolutely crap emotional intelligence. And so I, I've, I've only intuited what emotional intelligence is from that. Now, having got you on, I've done a bit of reading. Mike has a question, though. I have, and I'm 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 mm. still holding here on the. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Yes, yeah, that's true. Right now, I've got a feeling I'm not very good at this bit. What exactly is emotional intelligence? No, that's what I was going to ask because I've done some reading <laughs> and I still don't quite understand because everyone talks about emotional intelligence from these um, individual performance ratings that you can get by. Um, Goldman, wasn't it? Daniel Goldman. Yes. Right. And, and having read all about him, I still don't quite understand what intotional intelligence is. So tell us what intotional intelligence is. So if you take a step back, and first of all, part of what confuses you is probably the word intelligence. And, and <laughs> part of the reason that's confusing is because there's historically there's been the perception, the idea, the concept that intelligence is static that people are either stupid or they're smart. And that's kind of the basis of feudalism. It's the basis of, of lots and lots of different cultures. And it's the way that people who are doing well justify slaves and uh, peasants and people, keeping people under very poor conditions. It's because they say, well, I'm intelligent, I'm special. And so I'm entitled to do what I want. Right. So intelligence became this concept, this IQ you could measure that would tell you how good you were. Right. And so it became a loaded word. It became a word where we everybody has different associations with it. And so when it gets put together with anything else, we get really confused because it doesn't fit what we think it should be. So if mm. we just take away the word intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I often talk about emotional intelligence skills, but actually you can take the word intelligence away and what they are are emotional skills. Okay. And they're emotional skills where they begin, has the middle and end with self-awareness. Right. Um, 
And with self-awareness, there's two types of self-awareness. There's what we call internal self-awareness, which is how well do you know yourself? How do you know what's important to you, what your values are, what you want to experience in life, what type of a journey you want to have? How comfortable are you with yourself and with your thoughts and your thought processes? Can you predict how you're going to react in different situations? Can you then, with self-management, manage those situations so that you choose how you express your emotions and you change how those emotions impact yourself. So you're not getting hijacked. You're not reacting. You are being proactive. And once you've mastered that bit of the picture, that's the internal intelligence. It's also Mm -hmm. internal, uh, sorry, internal self-awareness. The external self-awareness is how you come across to other people. How do other people see you? How do they, how do they read you? And typically we have one of them, either none of them, unfortunately, which does happen, or we have one of them, and then we have to work on the other one. And the people who have both are so rare that we call them unicorns, basically. Now, the cool thing (laughs) is, as I'm sure you realize, if you think about it for a second, you're not the same people that you were when you were 14. And that means you've learned about yourself. You've learned ways of handling things. You've learned from all the experiences you've had in life. So you've been working on these emotional skills all this time. If I could just quote from Peter Cook here uh, and say that I, I've learned from my mistakes and I could repeat them all faultlessly at any time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I like I'm, that glad, I'm glad you chose 14 because I think I'm stuck at 17. Yeah, well, that's a choice. (laughs) And to be honest, sometimes it's a good choice. Have you noticed that? How much fun do you have? Loads, all the time. See? (laughs) So it makes perfect sense. So just to finish the emotional skills, once you've sorted yourself out, Mm -hmm. now you have removed a lot of what we call um, filters is the best way of thinking at it. So if you're in a bad place Mm -hmm. and you're upset about something with yourself, but but you're not aware of it, you can project that onto other people, which right. means you don't read them correctly. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't have any empathy. You don't even have sympathy, and they are two different things. Mm. And so you don't know what you're picking up. You can't read it. You're, it's like it's like a blind person trying to see colors. Yeah, if you're, if you're in a bad mood or depressed, you look for the bad things that everyone's saying. Exactly. You actually look for an argument almost, don't you? You, you think, do. well, okay, they're having a go at me about something. What? Exactly. And mm. have you noticed how there are some people where that's a habitual pattern? Mm. That is how they always react. Yeah. That's typical because they have really low self-awareness. So their emotional skills aren't very good because nobody has taught them. And that's the key. You have to learn these things. But once you can read other people really well, you can start to play around with what we call relationship management, which is about what are the skill that goes into having a good conversation? How do you manage something that people think are conflicts and do it in such a way that it's not a conflict? How do you, how do you have an interaction with somebody who's in a bad place and by the time you're done with your conversation, they're in a much better place? And that's what really good leadership is about. It's also what creates really good relationships, good mm-hmm. friendships, good marriages, etc. So it's kind of universal skills. And that's why the, the, when, once Daniel Goleman kind of came up with his definitions around what he calls emotional intelligence, um, it became such a buzzword because it, it was always real. People realized fairly soon. You, you can probably think of some people who are super bright. Okay. They know everything about a topic. <laughs> 
but they don't actually know how to interact with other people. Oh, not him. Oh, no, no, that's fine. Mike knows how to interact, yeah. That's not him. Yeah, Mike Mike knows everything and he knows how to interact. He's brilliant. No, I don't think so, Julian. (laughs) So did that help understand what emotional skills are? It did. Now, so in a sense, I, uh, I always get worried about about buzzwords, about new um, new concepts, new things, uh, because it just seems like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World newspeak, doesn't it? It does. Uh, this is this is something that's been invented to uh, to to be a, a paradigm for how we ought to be. But actually, what we're saying is, we all have emotional intelligence. We're all displaying emotional intelligence, whether it's high or, or low, given given the remits and, and, um, and measures that you're saying. Um, because actually, it's natural. We all mm-hmm. interact with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we all use uh, non-verbal communication to, to gauge what we feel and what we say and the reactions that people give us. So we, we know quite intuitively, it would seem, that, that if we're chatting to someone we think, well, hold on, they're, they're getting annoyed about what I'm saying, or they're not understanding, or no, they're really on board with this. And there's those sort of different emotions we're getting back, and we react to those. And we can either, if we're malicious or in a bad place, we can react to those in a negative way and wind them up. So here's this is really interesting, yeah. Julian, because... Oh, I'm going to get evil now. Come on, go um, on. Do, do, do it, do it, do it, do it, Marie. You are demonstrating what we call Donning-Kruger. Right. That's a cognitive bias. It is a filter, and it's got two aspects. It's got the unconscious incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. 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 And that's when well, if you give some... we've covered this before. We? <laughs> we the unconscious incompetent, the yeah. conscious incompetent, the conscious competent, and the unconscious competent. Yes. Yeah. But the yeah. interesting thing with the Dunning-Kruger on, in, is that with the two aspects, so you've got one aspect, which is that if you know nothing, you think you know everything. That's yes. not what I'm saying you're doing. You're demonstrating the other end of the spectrum, which is where you actually have a pretty good idea about how to read other people. So you are now making the assumption that everybody has some of that. And you would be surprised how few people can do it. I'm I'm constantly shocked with that sort of thing. Mm. I I, I actually struggle with that if if we're going to, if we're going to break that open. I, I assume that everybody has skied at over 120 miles an hour. <laughs> I assume that everybody has has raced yeah. at the velodrome. Yes. I assume that everybody has had all of these opportunities just because I have. And yeah. then when somebody yeah. says, I'm struggling with snowplow turns, I go, why are you trying to turn at 120 miles an hour? Yeah, well, do you need to? Just for heaven's sake, stay straight. Stay straight. Yeah. Don't stop. Wait for an uphill. Yeah. You'll slow down. Carry on, Murray. But, but also, you're absolutely right. When, when um, I, I do assume that, I do yeah. assume that, that actually, if if I'm annoyed at what someone's saying, I assume that they're going to be able to pick up that I'm annoyed. And if they don't, I get a little bit rattled and think, well, they must be then trying to annoy me. And and then some part of me thinks, well, maybe they haven't picked up on it. Maybe they haven't given them the right cues. So, what what should I do? And it's about that time I start going and ignoring them because I don't have any other tools. 
Well, that, and, and, you know, I love that you say that. Um, I always find it's far more complex than people think when they don't have those skills. Because you kind of get into why don't they have those skills? Because most of us, when we have them, learn, or we, I say, I might not even have had them when I was younger. Uh, but people learn often when they're really, really young because that's mm-hmm. the, it's the family culture. You are rewarded or you live in a, in a family where it's safe to pick up other people's emotions and where it's safe to demonstrate your own. But if you live in a family where you're punished, for example, verbally or told off if you show emotions and where you are told off if you notice other people's emotions, you literally get programmed into don't even see them. Right. Don't even see them. And then really? you've got people who grow up, in, and, and this is not malicious, by the way. Mm-hmm. Typically, it's yeah. not malicious. It's just that you can't teach your children something that you haven't been taught yourself. Yeah. So, no, I guess not. Before you before you came on, Mike and I were, were, were blagging and bluffing that we both knew bits about the brain. Um, and we, we, Mike mentioned the, the chimp paradox mm-hmm. that we, we both read. Uh, and previously we've spoken about the the reptilian brain Mm -hmm. and you always talk about these parts of the brain as if they're physical structures and to some extent they are they're they're, they're, they're found in in certain parts of the brain but we were then discussing the the limbic and parietal parts of the brain and the uh, cortical parts of the brain and i remember years ago hearing about hippocampal learning where if you're driving somewhere and you take a right turn and it's the, it's the wrong way to go and you correct that, the next time you drive, you're going to take that right turn again because the hippocampus has learned that. And everything to do with, Mike thinks it's the parietal lobe here. I, I, I think he's probably right, superimposing on that uh, in terms of neurolinguistic programming will we'll, try and reprogram that hippocampus to say no no there is an overriding drive to turn right but you need to turn left let's, Mike's, let's Mike's probably wrong enforce that. no Mike's always right <laughs> <laughs> so first of all I don't there's a lot of things we don't know about the brain right mm. and and we don't fully well, clearly know with Mike and I there's a huge amount <laughs> we don't know about the brain and and what you can say is what you, what you can say is that whatever we focus on, whatever we put attention on, that's what the brain follows. And you get different types of learning. You get learning that's kind of has a massive impact really quickly. And with horses, you talk about one-time learning. If something is fearsome enough, mm-hmm. that's it. They've learned it. And that you basically, it's almost impossible to get them to unlearn it. Right. You can, but there's a high risk that it comes back again. Mm-hmm. You actually get something similar with people. So often when you talk about with school teachers and you talk about children, they kind of do one, two generalization. It happens to me once. It happened to me twice. Now it's always going to happen to me. Mm. And we see it carry on into to when we're adults where we might say, well, people always do this. But if you drill into it, it probably has just happened twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. But the brain is kind of set up to do very quick learning because from an evolutionary perspective, the brain is a very expensive organ, uses an awful lot of glucose. And so the more you can make automatic, the more you can have happen almost as a reflex, the better it is from a survival perspective. So in the example that you're talking about, it's less interesting 
where it sits in the brain, it's far more interesting why it happens because it gives you that understanding of of what was it in that situation that was so full of attention that the brain held on to it. Mm-hmm. Was there an emotion mm-hmm. associated with it? Because that's often the case. If it if it triggers an emotional spike, usually an adrenaline spike, then the brain is far more likely to hold on to it because that must mean that it's important because it's survival related. And, that, and that's true, actually, because when I turn right at that uh, turn where I should have turned left, my wife invariably shouts at me or hits me. That'll do it. So that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I should have to say, no, she doesn't. She really doesn't. That's just a joke. So, yeah, she, she does. Yeah, she does. <laughs> you're going to be in for it later. Okay, oh, gosh. You wait till this episode comes out. Oh, you're, in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble, Julian Hode. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and so I mentioned neurolinguistic programming. Was that the right term to use? Uh, neurolinguistic programming is kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a concept that was created based on what you call observations. So basically people went out and, um, and there's a bunch of names and I can never remember all of them. I'm really sorry. So I'm not even going to give you any cause it's just rude to miss them out. Um, but basically they went out and said, why are there some people who are so excellent at what they do? And they went out and they looked at what they did and they tried to almost recreate it by going backwards. And they came up with a number of different concepts, a number of concepts around how the brain worked, a number of concepts around how words were uh, accessed and used and how they influenced people. They looked at some of the best hypnotherapists, for example, to see that type of language. Mm-hmm. They used. They looked at some really good therapists to see how that type of language was used and, and what was their sort of their preconceived notions, whatever. And it was interesting because, of course, I've done the training. I'm a a NLP master practitioner. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I did, because what I also am is I am... I'm a vet and I am evidence-based to the nth degree. So yes, you can give me all this stuff. I'll go through it. I'll take it all on board. And then I'm going to go, I wonder how much of that is true Mm -hmm. and how much of that is made up. And it's been really interesting over the years. I've tracked down a lot of things from the NLP programs and I've actually been completely blown away how, how many of the things that you're presented with on an NLP program has quite a solid base these days in mm-hmm. either neuroscience or psychology. Right. So it's, it's, um, there's been a few things that I've picked up where I've gone, mm, no, the research doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. There's been enough there that even the things I haven't looked at, I will use until I've had a time to dig into it a little bit further. Interesting. But it's neuro-linguistic. <clears throat> so a lot of it is around how do you use words to influence people's brains? Right. And that and, is interesting. And, and is, that, is that similar to CBT, to cognitive behavioral therapy? So cognitive behavioral therapy, actually, definitely no, because cognitive behavioral therapy uses really specific techniques to get you to use the logical part of your brain to address the, what I call the survival brain, your instinctual, very quickly. It's not so much much super brain, it's more that your prefrontal cortex 
it's your logic, it's your thinking. Mm. You, you question your automatic thought patterns. So, so again, evolution to survive, I have to create automatic thought patterns. And the more external threat or internal threat there is, the, the louder my automatic thought patterns. And when they become really, really loud, because it's about survival, they often drive anxiety and depression because that's a very difficult place to be. Yep. So what you do is you use your logical brain to recognize what's going on and to push back on it. And mm -hmm. CPT is just one of the, it is a very effective technique. It's just one of the techniques that you can use. Um, mindful practice and mindfulness meditation does exactly the same because what it does is it starves the part of the brain that creates these very loud, anxious thoughts. You know, the churning, your mind chatter that just goes all the time. That's what that often comes from the survival brain. It's your fears, it's your anxieties, it's your worries, it's your oh my god, I have to solve this, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. That's that sounds like that. So when you do mindfulness practice or mindfulness meditation, you're focusing on your senses, which immediately starts to quiet down that bit. And again, you change your brain patterns, you change how your brain is constructed. Essentially, you're building myelin, if you want the, the anatomical term. Mm -hmm. And so you start to, to automatically go in a different direction. And so, so actually time, physically or pathophysically changing you are. You are. you are. And, and ding, NLP ding, ding. is different because, sorry, Mike. No, so NLP, NLP works much more on the unconscious part, part. So basically NLP goes, okay, never mind the, the logical thinking. What can I say in such a way that, that I address the underlying assumptions people have and I change those assumptions in a way that works for them? Right. Hmm. There's some really weird stuff in NLP. Can yeah. I just say that? It's <laughs> huge. There's some incredible stuff there. But okay, so so we've got all of these problems. We've got the elephant in the room. Yeah. We've we've got all of that. Have you got any coping strategies you could share with us? The, the one coping strategy I I found, which well, it's not one. There's a couple, and mm -hmm. it was interesting. I uh, I did the keynote lecture for the uh, RCBS veterinary nurse evening, and that was exactly what I chose to talk about. Right. Uh, because what you have is a neurological problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we because the pandemic has gone on so long, we have changed the way the brain operates. And you're not going to solve the problem without addressing the underlying brain structure. So we, we need to change the brain back again. And that's why I use the terminology, the survival brain. It's not my terminology. It's from a guy called Shisat Shemin, who's a, a, a coach over in the US. But it's a fantastic. It just describes it really, really well, I think. <clears throat> and you can call it the chimp, et cetera. But I think survival brain in, in the under these circumstances just captures it. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we've done is we've created a situation where our where our brain it's put down myelin in the areas that go straight down super highway into going oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god to constantly scan for what's going on around to over focus on the negatives. Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense. I mean if there's a line in the bush and you stop to admire how the light falls on its coat, you know, on its fur, you'll you'll be dinner, won't you? So you need to react really quickly. You need to constantly scan and make sure that you see all the bad things around you. That's what's going to drive your survival. Right. 
But the problem is that we've ended up doing that constantly. And A, it's completely draining because from a mental load perspective, your brain is going in hyper gear all the time. But B, it also has to focus on those negative emotions. So your negative emotions are now in hyper gear. So you need to do two things. You need to to, to wither away the myelin that's been laid down in that direction. Mm -hmm. And you need to create myelin that's going to take you into more of your logical brain and to find more positive aspects. Right. So they're two separate processes and you have Mm -hmm. to do the wither away first. Now, we also know that myelin takes weeks to months to actually change. So you can change other brain structures faster, but myelin, you know, the number of sheath layers that's put down and then taken away again, takes weeks to months. So it's not a quick fix. You have to keep doing it. And so the one that... that so, so, sorry, some- could, could I, 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 I don't... I feel awful interrupting, but I feel <laughs> that there are some people listening to this that, that, that will not know what myelin is. And, and I guess for, from, from a very much layman's point of view, we could say that that myelin is almost the insulator, really, the uh, of the brain system. And if you if you take away some of the myelin, you're able to recreate new brain pathways. It's much not quickly. so much myelin determines the speed of the pathway. Okay, that's oh, right. what it okay. does. So, so you've got other structures that are the pathway itself. But the myelin determines how quickly you go in that direct line. And the thicker the myelin is, the faster you move. So if you've got very little myelin, it's like having a pathway through a jungle. It's really slow and lots of roots and you keep tripping and it's kind of uncomfortable. You don't really want to go there. And it's a lot of hard work to go down that way. If you have a lot of myelin, it's basically, it's like a super highway. You just, you charge straight down. You don't even think about it. It's that automatic driving. You just go that way because it's easy. You blunder through and blundering through is not necessarily the best way to go. It's not so much that you blunder through. It's that you go there automatically because it's easy. Remember, the brain is always set up. Whatever is easy is will always be chosen. Right. Because that's how we survive. The more you do the hard things, the more glucose you use, the the higher your risk of dying of starvation. It's an energy equation. It's that simple. Anything that conserves energy is going to increase your your chance of survival because starvation has always been the biggest risk that and being eaten by a tiger or something like that yeah, yeah? and this is why rambling is always best <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah. QED. So in order to, to get those myelin sheaths to wither away and get thin again and make it, make it difficult to think all these negative things, we have to stop ourselves whenever we notice that we're going down that way. So back to self-awareness, to listen to what we call our mind chatter, what we say in our heads. And the, the way that seems to be the best is the mindful practice. Okay. Now, if you can do mindfulness meditation, woohoo, you're on a winning streak because that's definitely where you want to end up. I kind of utilize the concept, I call it micro awareness. Um, and it's basically what it is, is to focus completely on your senses and to let go of your thoughts. And it's actually the process of letting go of your thoughts that changes the brain structure. But you use the focusing on your senses to make it happen. And if you can do just 10 seconds, you're going to start to create a change. If you can do it up to 10 minutes a day, there was a research study that said that if you can find 10 minutes of complete calm in a day, that the side effects of having high cortisol levels are are pretty much 
uh, um, weighed out. So you don't have the same level of physical problems from high cortisol levels because, and we know cortisol is the stress hormone. It's what we have a lot of. So what I call the survival brain, the neurotransmitters there are adrenaline and cortisol. Whereas what I call the flow brain, which is the, the, the place where you have your positive emotions, where things are flowing, where you're feeling good, is much more about serotonin and dopamine. These are the so, things that chocolate help. Always. Chocolate helps yeah. everything in my model of both. <laughs> chocolate and so, a glass of wine, we're on a winning streak. I've, I've got one of those here. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think Mike and I, I don't know about you, Mike, I, I was a little bit lost back there with this okay. so so you were saying letting your i can't remember exactly what you said you, would you like a demonstration yes please. because that yes, is that usually wonderful. the best way to get to grips with it thank you yeah you're talking about letting parts of your brain drop and the others carry on exactly well I, I, if i drink a couple of bottles of wine then i'm there a lot of my brain has dropped, it's but I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily the right remember. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so you might want to just, just start by taking a deep breath and just literally just notice what happens in your body as you exhale. And as you sit there and you just focus on your breathing for a second, mm -hmm. just notice the space that your body is occupying and how you sit in the chair. And it's okay however you sit, sit in the chair, but really focus on how you sit and let go of any thoughts. And it is perfectly normal to have thoughts come through. That's fine. Every time you notice a thought, just let go of the thought, focus on how you sit in the chair. And you might want to notice your legs. You might want to notice how your legs are and whether they're equally heavy or one is heavier than the other and just let go of any thoughts. And as you pass down your legs, just notice your feet and notice your toes and whether you can feel all your toes. And it's perfectly okay to wriggle your toes and to move them. And just let go of any thoughts and really notice if all your toes are equal and it's okay if they're not. And now shift your focus to your hearing and really listen to the sound that is the furthest away from you. Really focus on that sound. And just keep focusing on that sound. And now notice the sound that's the closest to you. Really focus on the sound that's the closest to you. And just let go of any thought that comes in. And if you haven't already heard the sound of your breathing, just notice the sound of your breathing now. And just focus on your breathing for me. And notice the temperature of the air as it enters your nostrils. And the temperature of the air as it exits the nostrils. And just let go of any thoughts. And just go back to noticing your breathing and what happens in your body as you inhale. And as you exhale, and every time a thought comes, just let go of it and go back to focusing on your breathing. And whatever your breathing does is fine. Let's really focus on your breathing. Well done. And come back to me.
No, I want to stay there. <laughs> yeah, I want to stay <laughs> too. I want to stay there. It feels good, doesn't it? Oh, it feels I'm amazing. Mm. It feels amazing. But yeah, the funny thing is, when you're talking about the breathing in, and I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder what the temperature I'm breathing in. And then you said, think about the temperature you're breathing in. I thought, yeah. oh, oh, I was thinking that. Yeah. Uh, that's extra points for me. <laughs> No, no, because well, I got wiggle your toes. I got, I was already wiggling my toes <laughs> before she said it. Yeah. Did you? Did yeah. You? So the, the difference for me, the reason I love this is that, you know, with meditation, there's always the implication that you sit still. Yes. Yeah. Whereas this, you can literally do anywhere. You can do it with your eyes as well. You yeah. can focus on what yeah. you see. You can do it while you're walking. You can really notice how your foot moves over the ground and the different pressure points under your feet, etc. And you get to a point where every time you start to have a negative emotion or you start to have a reaction, do just a couple of deep breaths, notice something. I've got some of my clients that's kind of fiddling things, touching things, etc. It doesn't matter what sense it is. It literally doesn't matter what sense it is, whatever works for you. But it pulls you out of that reactive place about that and it puts you into calmness. That was that was incredible. Do I'll be honest, I've never ever experienced anything like that before. Have you not? no, I haven't. I've done I've done yoga, and I've always resented yoga a little bit. I must admit, because because of the you you've got to go into this downward dog and stretch and be uncomfortable and, and reach nirvana and look at a, a still flame and breathe the flame. And I think, oh, for fuck's sake! I mean, Jesus, I don't, <laughs> I can't be done with all that stuff. Hey, but the reading your toes and feeling each toe. Dun, dun, Dunning Kruger. We started on Dunning Kruger. Yeah. I can't believe that you haven't experienced that before because that used to be part of my cycle training. There we go. And why do you think that is now? Um, let's, let's put it this way. <laughs> when the survival brain is loud, and often with cycle training, it's about perceived internal threat. Oh, my God, what if I get it wrong? What can I do? This isn't going to work. It's yeah. quieting that down. So when, when that is loud, that's when we make mistakes. Yeah. So when, the more from a professional sports perspective, the yeah. more you can quiet it down, the more smoothly you go and you go into that flow place where it, where it just flows, where yeah. you, you can just focus. And again, from a professional sports perspective, the more you're aware of your body, the more yeah. you can focus on your body, the more you can change things. Yeah. And I find it fascinating. I use it when I, have, when I ride and when I have uh, um, lessons. Mm -hmm. And it makes an enormous difference in how much I can change and how precise I can be with what I do. Yeah. So are these are the basic essence of the just distraction techniques? No, they're mindful no. techniques. Mindful so they, they come technique. from mindfulness practice. Right. And it's just doing it in a in and ideally over over time, if you can get to the because what you'll find is that it gets easier and easier to do. Mm. But mm. the brain doesn't change if you're not stretching yourself. That's the other thing to realize. Yeah, like, like, any, <laughs> like any exercise. Exactly. So yeah. to begin with, you might do it in sort of quiet moments and you might use in Headspace, uh, the, the app you can put on your phone that's a meditation app. They've got some lovely little three-minute segments um, that you could use, for example, in a similar way mm -hmm. because they often then acknowledge the fact that people, if they're kind of like this, if it's an overwhelm, for example, then you probably can't do a full-scale meditation. So you can mm -hmm. get some of it from, from places like that. Um, and then over time, 
time, as you get better and better at it and you can kind of hold it for longer and longer, you want to start to up the game. You want to start doing it while you're with other people. You want to start doing it while the TV's on. You want to start doing it when you are more reactive, when you're more angry. And what you'll find is that then you'll be angry and you'll do blah, 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 blah. And then you're angry again and do a little bit more. And then you're angry again and do a little bit more. And it's the process of doing it under those increasingly difficult circumstances and letting go of those thoughts, that is what changes the brain. Patterns. Because each time that's putting a little bit more strain on the system exactly. in, in the way you want it to. Wow. That's amazing, really. which is not what we want to know. But, um, <laughs> but you, 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 you've, you, wow. you've really blown my mind on, on that, Anne-Marie. That, that's I, that's I, great. I, I'm, I'm just eternally grateful. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie, because you've really? woken up stuff. And I have experienced this for years and years and years. Have I used it any time in the last... 12 months no two years no four five years no but you, you you probably saw me smiling there i had my eyes closed whilst you were talking to us and um you you were taking me back to to happy places and i was remembering <laughs> sessions previously that i'd experienced and and undergone but um wow i amory i could talk to you all evening about this stuff <laughs> it's cool isn't it yeah. i will say there's a second component to it Yes. You want to do the micro-awareness and keep doing that to find a calmer place. And once you're in that calmer place, you kind of want to, uh, you kind of want to Im- engage your logic a little bit. Right. And you can do that by asking yourself some questions. And you don't always get the answer to the questions immediately, but it changes how you see things. Mm-hmm. And Julian, you're going to love this because the first question is, what can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second yeah. question is, how is this a good thing? Okay. And yes. that could be about what is the gift or the opportunity that it arises? How is this a good thing? Because that's always the question if we can do it, but why? Exactly. But why? how is and it a good thing? It? And, 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 and again, getting back to, um, uh, to, to, to meeting you tonight. Yeah. Can I just give you the third question? Oh, sorry, sorry, please. Let me just give you the third. So, the first question is what can I learn from this? The second one is how is this a good thing? How is this a gift or an opportunity? And the last one is how is this going to inspire me to think out of the box or to change something in the future? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 sorry for interrupting you. That's absolutely, absolutely correct. And and, uh, the reason I jumped in earlier was because, um, because I missed that little bit. In in, uh, in in your uh, in your reasoning and and um, thinking back to to what I was expecting out of out of our discussion tonight, it was not anywhere near <laughs> as much as we've discussed. And I, I'm, I'm sure Mike's the same way. I wanted to learn more about um, uh, about NLP and about um, mindfulness and about whatever whatever is is encompassed within within your teachings well, tonight but but I, I must admit my thoughts were i want to learn more about them because they're for other people and we might educate other people but actually what i didn't expect was to be so incredibly inspired myself i i don't i don't mind admitting purely selfish motivation yeah. good Absolutely. and do you know what I always say when I do group sessions, I always say to people, there's no stupid question. 
Because whatever you ask or wherever you go, whatever problem you come up with, whatever, wherever it takes you, there will be somebody else in the room that will have the same question. And so, so being selfish and looking at these things from your own personal perspective is actually the best way of doing it because it'll still resonate with everybody else. Sure. One of the things I, I often say to people is, and I actually remember a great quote I picked up uh, when while I was a member of VIN, you know, Veterinary in, in mm-hmm. Information Network. And yep. somebody yep. used as their little sub thing, they used, if your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Right. <laughs> and I love that one. I think it is just so true. And so yeah. I often say to people, my job is to put tools in your toolkit. Your job is to look at the situation and decide which tool to pull out. Mm-hmm. And NLP, just like so many other things, is just a tool. And it's a tool where you learn things as a certain techniques, but more mm-hmm. than that, you learn some underlying principles and then you start to work with those principles and you start to become more flexible with them and 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 to do things with them. Right. And I think for most people, the tools you create yourself are the ones that are the strongest mm-hmm. because you figured out how to do this. Mm-hmm. This worked for you and Mm -hmm. so it's going to stay really strong in your brain and it's a tool you're going to be able to use in other situations as well so i love it when people come up with their own tools it's like Mm -hmm. my most favorite thing in the world because it's not actually about what i can give them it's about where they are on their journey and how they move on that journey that's what gets me really excited sure and that's interesting because as a as a vet uh i um, I'm not a specialist, but I, I do have a special interest in surgery. And so most cases that I see, my immediate response is going to be, how can I operate to make this better? Yes. And, and there's not, there's not you know, what what medicine I can do. And I think Mike, Mike has somewhere else to, to take that, well, that, that statement. Well, not, not, not at all. I mean, you're a vet, Julian, but you're a vet as well, aren't you, Emery? I am, yeah. But we've been talking to you loads and loads and loads about human psychology since you since you joined us for this evening's veterinary ramble. Well, it's a ramble. It's, it's a, it is a ramble. It is a ramble. It's an exploratory <laughs> ramble. But I'd, I'd like to get down to you being a vet and how you know, what what has taken you from qualifying as a vet to to discussing with us sort of advanced advanced techniques on coaching and self awareness. CBD, neuro-linguistic programming. Why? How? Well, I think both being a vet and everything I do today and everything I've done along the way has had one single thing in common. It's a complete obsession with learning. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I loved being a vet as a practicing vet. I absolutely loved it. I loved the interactions with the clients. I loved the interactions with the animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I was absolutely fascinated with it. I have... I like things that have a lot of different things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So as a vet, you can, yes, you can be general practice and you can really enjoy that, but then you end up in the same conversations. Yep. And, and back when I was a practicing vet and I had my own practice, I didn't have the communication skills that I have today. Right. And so I could get quite frustrated with, with how many times in a day I had to explain to a client that it's a good thing to vaccinate a cat or a dog. Right. Yeah. yeah? yeah. We, we, we have that problem with humans, don't we, Julian? <laughs> we do. 
And then, so, so when I had the opportunity to go work for a large corporate organization, mm-hmm. I took it and I started learning things around sales and about marketing and a lot around training and around, you know, how, how you do things in large companies and large organizations, because it's a very different world. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the end point where I always ended up was what I really enjoyed was the interaction with people. And to take learning and the interaction with people in together. So, for example, when I um, after I started my own coaching business, I went back into part-time veterinary work for some years. And I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough that I could work in a relatively large practice, which used to do a lot of internal referrals to each other. Okay. And so I always had an interesting, I'm really sorry, guys, in dermatology. And I, I loved, I'm sorry, oh. because... <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think I think and it was that neurolinguistic programming. It probably was it's one of those trigger words. It was, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But the reason was you're never going to cure an animal with skin problems because there's often some long-term underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you build very, very strong bonds with the owners. Okay. And you build strong bonds with the patients. Mm-hmm. And also, guess what? There are no emergencies in dermatology. No, no. <laughs> there is that. The, uh, the ECC, the Emergency and Critical Care Dermatology Manual, is very, very thin. <laughs> it's very, very thin, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> so it's one thing I really, really enjoy is creating almost sort of a complete experience for for. Uh, people who have patients or have animals, cats or dogs, typically with skin problems. And it's you're, you're right, really fascinating. If, if, um, we, we, we talk about uh, communication skills with, with, with any job. Um, I think veterinary dermatologists must have the best communication skills of, of any profession because they have to actually get the patients on board, the, the clients on board, knowing that time after time, the clients are going to come with the same problem. He's still got a rash. Yes. Do you remember how he said that 37,000 times over the last 14 months? And, um, and not lose patience with it. And I, as a surgeon, I want it, I want it better. And My dermatology is it's got a lump. Let's get rid of it. Fantastic. That's <laughs> done. Dermatologically, the rest is okay. <laughs> Whereas I enjoy the fact, how can I, in that very first conversation with a client, when I recognize that there is a dermatology mm. problem, how can I set it up in such a way that every conversation I have after that is a success? Yes. How can I manage their expectations? How can I get them on board with my plan? How can I get them to see the benefits of coming back to me again and again and again and have them have the feeling that what we're doing is I am holding their hand. I am the safe place. I'm the place where they can go with their frustrations. I will work with them and we can find that bond over that cat or that dog mm-hmm. and that's what mm. fascinates me mm. and that is the human and when i was in in that particular practice i used to say to the receptionist and to the other vets i used to say to them look if you've got a really difficult client one that's a nightmare to deal with them with can you just pass them my way because i get bored a little bit once in a while and i kind of like just, i'm just texting you their numbers now <laughs> <Amory>. <laughs> It was actually, it was interesting because they would kind of fall into two categories. They would fall into the ones where I went back to the practice and I went, I would fire them if I were you. You ain't going to shift them. Often when you go into personality disorders, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do anything with them. But there was a very large number of people where either I could pass them back to the, to the 
to the vet and then sometimes they would come back my way. Can you just get them in a good place again? I'll get, yeah, yeah. And then pass them back again. Or just, I could tell them what's the problem. Yeah. What is it that's going on with them? Yeah. So it was, you know, I, I have to say, I have, I have a huge delight in, in taking some stony faced old moo, spending 20 minutes and getting them to, to agree that actually we're working together. Yes, to get their exactly. better and that's I, I do you know I, I joke about it but I, I do love that and I've got a few clients that um I guess every vet does a few clients that will only see me because no one else understands them um and I, and I love those people they annoy the hell out of me they really do you know it's this, this, this 10% of people take up 90% of your time business and they annoy the hell out of me but actually when I see them I think well actually they need they need someone to to take their cause on yeah. And to to let them understand that they are doing the right thing for you know, bingo or mm-hmm. whoever it is. Uh, and I, I like that. As, as frustrated as I get throughout the rest of the week, they are the cases that make me still want to be a vet. I want to find more about more out about Anne Marie, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. So, so you, you left you left general practice. Yes. You started your own coaching business. Well, I left general practice and then I went to work for Hills Pet, uh, Pet Nutrition. Right. Mm-hmm. And worked with sales, marketing, training, right. etc. Okay. And from there, I I took an, um, had an education as an executive coach and started up my own coaching business. Right. And then got into the NLP stuff. It's very common right. for people who coach. It's it's a it's yeah. a really good mix. Um, and I've never looked back. Never look back. So what mm-hmm. do you, what do you do now then? I mostly work with teams and within organizations to help people find better ways to work to be- together and, uh, and to change the culture into one that is a much more positive culture and that creates greater uh, results. I mean, the, the fancy term is employee engagement. Okay. What does that mean? It means that the people who work in an organization, by and large, understand why they're there. Mm-hmm. why it's important that they're there. Mm-hmm. They understand how their role is, it fits into the bigger picture and how they really make a difference mm-hmm. by being in that role and performing that job. Right. And they that the atmosphere and the interactions they have with their team members, their colleagues, their bosses, their direct reports are generally positive and have what we can call a growth mindset, that everybody's learning from mistakes. There's no shaming. There's no blaming. There's basically just a really good culture where everybody's we're pulling in the same direction right. and enjoying everyday life. So that's that's what you do full-time now? Yes. Okay, so what, what's your company called? It's called Purple Cat Coaching. Okay, but it's not coaching purple cats. <laughs> no. <laughs> And so who uses your services, Henry? A variety of people. Over the years, it's been everything from mobile phone companies to banks to veterinary practices, obviously, universities, charities. I have a soft spot for working with the charities because I think it makes a big difference. Um, Individuals, just individuals as well. I do some of that from all different areas of life, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. So what do you what do you like about charity work particularly then? They have a passion 
Right. They have a passion for something. They have a passion for a specific course. Right. Mm-hmm. And whenever you work with people that have a passion, it's much easier to pull them together and to help them find a good way to work together. Right. So they'll, they'll set aside personal differences um, because they're going to save the tigers or whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, or more that yeah. they're more motivated to understand where the other people are coming from because that's often the case when you start to understand that it's not about you. Right. That if somebody is having a go, it's rarely about you. It's usually about them. Then you get right. to a place where rather than you react, you go, hmm, this is really interesting. I wonder what's driving that reaction. So the resilience yes. increases. You don't get affected to the same degree with, with the people's different foibles. Because let's get real. Everybody has a bad day once in a while. Come on. <laughs> So you can, you're never going to get a situation where you don't come across people who have a bad day and right. where you don't come across situations where things aren't working the way you ideally would like them to work because that's what happens most of the time. Right. What you can change is how you deal with it, how you react to it, okay. how you can find positives in it. And that's what drives the enjoyment and that's what then increases you know, how you work together and how, you, how your relationships work. So let me understand this a little bit better than Anne-Marie. What, what you're suggesting is that in, in an interaction, mm-hmm. um, somebody might say something outlandish or, or offensive or, or, or whatever. And you're saying that how you react to that is a choice. Yes. And it's worthwhile almost taking a step back and saying that this actually reflects worse on the person that's giving this verbal this grief or whatever what is it that is triggering that why are they reacting in that way and how can i interact with them yes okay all right so if i've understood that then mm-hmm. you, you probably know what the next question is 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 what what's your what's your go-to trigger or your go-to how do you how do you train yourself to take that, whether it be a deep breath and step back or a count to 10 and then re-engage or engage. Have you got any particular skills or, or tricks that we can Well, we can to share? be honest, you, you want to have a framework. You need something that's easy because right. if you're about to react to something, you need something that's easy that you can do every time and that's easy mm. to remember. And I tend right. to teach people based on what I call the FBI staircase to behavior change. Okay. Have you heard of that one? No. No. I, I thought FBI staircases was um, uh, we didn't push him down the staircase he no, fell. No, that's the CIA. <laughs> that's the CIA, right? Sorry. Exactly. CIA. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, I, I'm, 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 I'm vaguely remembering, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I did read a book about negotiation. Yeah. Hostage negotiation. Exactly. And spot on, Mike. That's exactly where it comes from. So the sure. FBI has come up with this model to, to simplify how to do hostage negotiations. Right. And think about it. If you got you need to persuade somebody to give up their strongest card and essentially give up and just kind of go to prison, how do you do that? That takes skills. Right. Um and the I've seen Bruce Willis do it. <laughs> Yeah, with a gun. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So, so are you saying, Amory, that we get a gun? Sorry, no, I'm not. No, no, okay, okay. So there's real specific <laughs> steps that they use, and it's it's interesting because. Um, um, 
there are some real case stories or some real life examples of just how well this works. And I'll talk a little bit about that afterwards as an example. Uh, but essentially the steps, the first step is listening. Mm-hmm. But not just listening, you're kind of listening for specific things. So each of these steps are deceptively simple. They're very difficult to do well, and you can put as much depth into them as possible. So I often say to my clients, whatever happens, your one job is to listen. But what you're listening for is you're listening, what is the real problem? Mm-hmm. Because okay. when people get frustrated, they get frustrated inevitably because they don't know what the real problem is. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if they knew what the real problem was, they would already be addressing it. Right. So think about the client that comes in and is really upset because their dog has diarrhea. The real problem is, is usually they're afraid that the dog is going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not a problem they know how to solve. So that's when the frustration starts to come out. Yes. Right. Yeah. So the first step is listening. The second step is empathy. Now, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy, and this is what makes it tricky because not all people have empathy. And it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to do that step if you don't have empathy. Empathy is something we learn at a certain stage in our childhood, and if we we don't get it at that point, we kind of handicapped in our brains. We can't really do empathy. So then you have to substitute the sympathy, which is a logical understanding of where people are coming from. But true empathy is recognizing the emotion and labeling it and saying to people, and and, and if necessary, saying to people, yeah, I get it. So it might be that you say to the angry client, you might be to say, I can see this is really scary for you. Because actually with empathy, you're feeling that. You are. You are. And there's a skill to feeling it without being hijacked by it, without being sucked into it because you need to be able to have that little bit of a distancing and that's where the labeling can come in really useful because it's a way to kind of just go and I can see that this is the emotion that's happening so the third step is what's known as rapport that's saying we are in the same group and there's lots of psychology around what we call in group out group so if you go to Los Angeles and some guys pull a gun on you it doesn't really matter what you say they're not really going to pay attention you can listen to them all you want but you're not in their group you're not part of who they are they're not going to listen so same thing if somebody comes into let's say there's a veterinary congress and you've got somebody who goes up on stage and tells the vets that they're useless at one particular thing but that person isn't the vet the likelihood is that the audience won't listen because they'll go you're not a vet you don't know what you're talking about yes yes yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. So rapport is about finding common ground. It's about using your body language. It's about using your your um, words. It's about recognizing their values, what's important to them, where they're coming from. And it is your job to find something in there that's the same for you. So if we go back to the example of the client with the dog, it might be, do you know what? I know how you're feeling. I have a dog at home. Mm-hmm. And it's important. My husband still works full time in practice. And my God, does he talk about our cats and our dog when we mm. still had our dog comes up in conversations all the time. And he says, there's nothing that will persuade a client faster than say, yeah, I got that with my cat. Absolutely. And, and a lot yeah. of the complaints that, that we had, you mentioned complaints over the last year with with, uh, with pandemic. A, a lot of them, well, we haven't had that many, but you know, of the ones we've had, um, there are there are those that have said, "I don't believe this vet has ever had a pet." Yeah, 
and and it it's that bit that's missing, isn't it? That it common is. ground, that rapport, the, the empathy, the I know how you're feeling because I've been there too. Yes. And nothing is more apt in that respect than when we're putting a bed to sleep and we say, yes. look, I know what you're going through. Believe me, I still miss my little dog yes. 10 years ago. Yes. And that's so important for them because actually that's their get out clause. Mm. That's their, I'm not an evil bastard who's, put, who's killing my dog. It's a, this is someone who knows what they're doing and this is all right to do it. This is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important. It is. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Carry the on, next step, yeah. So the next step is influencing. Now, mm-hmm. the fascinating thing is, as humans beings, we tend to skip the first three and go straight to influencing. I'm going to tell you how to solve your problem. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. We, 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 don't need to, we don't need to create any rapport. Oh, you, yeah. you come to me with this problem, it's what you do. I'm a exactly. vet. I'm going to sort and it out. And enjoy how, it often, how often do they listen? All the time. Oh. Ah. Ah. No, Mike. <laughs> Mike. No, I think okay. I, I read... I read Anne-Marie's view on this uh, uh, just now in her face when, when you were saying that. And I didn't think it is all the time. I think it's yeah. less than all the time. It is. And, and there has been quite, and actually there has been a lot of studies done around compliance in pet owners. And concordance, isn't it? They're two yes. different things. But, they are. Uh, yeah. So yeah. the key, and, and if you don't want to think about your clients, think about your friends. So your friend comes to you and they have a moan about something and you go, you know what, why don't you do this? Or if people do it to you, you say to them, oh, this is really frustrating. And they go, well, you know what? Here's what you should do. You should do this, 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 and this. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to yeah, them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wait, yeah, wait. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So so, we we often skip the – but the problem is if you do not follow the steps in the correct order and spend enough time on each step, the influencing step will not work. Right. And also notice mm. it's influencing because you cannot make another person change you can only sow the seeds and do it in such a way that there's a higher likelihood that they will follow them mm-hmm. now also bearing in mind if you go back to the listening if you don't have good enough self-awareness you're going to be having all your own thoughts coming in you're going to be interpreting what they're saying from your own perspective because you can't separate out what's theirs and what's yours right so as we say in danish the chain is going to come off the bicycle already there and you ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah? Yeah. 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 So, so, and the last step is behavior change. And for each of those steps, you can put in place so many different tools that will help you do that job better. So what I say to my clients is I say to them, don't worry. In any situation, when the going gets tough, default to step one. Just listen. Okay. Because the likelihood is that as you listen and potentially ask questions, open-ended questions so that you can get more information, as you listen, you start to remember the rest of the steps. Mm-hmm. You start to notice where the other person is that emotionally and you start to remember what you can do about it. So it becomes almost a, a, a cascade of events, mm. a cascade of things. Mm. But I say to them, just listen. And, and the, remember that coaching is founded on the principle that if you listen with the right amount of attention to anybody, they will eventually solve their own problems. 
I find this fascinating, actually, Amory, and I really mm. appreciate you sharing this with us. And as I said earlier, I never mind asking a stupid question because um, because they're not stupid questions, and because if I thought of them, someone else would have thought of them, uh, and it's either been badly portrayed, which in your case it certainly wasn't, or or, or badly understood, which in my case it certainly was. And I, and, I, and I feel I feel awful then segueing into the next part, which is you, you've given us so much information yeah. already tonight. But I wonder whether whether you'd mind giving us one more minute of information. I and, believe. And really, what, 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 what do you fancy covering in your 60 second CPD, Anne-Marie? I want to give people a practical tool for how they can disagree with someone. Wow. Because I find in British culture, the hardest thing for people to do is to disagree. And they often think of it as conflict. Again, then. So yeah. 60 seconds CPD, Anne-Marie Aylott on how to disagree with somebody. So one of the best way I know to disagree with people is something that's called an agreement frame. And an agreement frame starts with agreeing with something that the other person is saying or potentially taking it in a slightly different direction. And I'll give you an example of that as well. So let's say we hear the statement that we hear a lot, bets are in it for the money. Now, that's obviously a statement that we would like to disagree with. So we're going to find something that we can agree with. We're going to put in the word and, and then we're going to change it afterwards. So we might say, I can see why you might think that bets are only in it for the money. And what I would like to add is that it's actually incredibly expensive to run a veterinary practice. So vets aren't paid as much as you think. And there are lots of vets out there that are paid no more than a human nurse. You could also potentially be asked to do a job that you don't want to do, in which case you might start with the words with, I love that you think I'm superwoman and today I won't be able to help you. Thank you. Wow. But brilliantly portrayed. Yeah. Absolutely to the millisecond um, put through and and made perfect sense. And I will make notes of that and using it for my next and, and, client battle. And, and <laughs> answering one of the big conundrums that's affecting our community at the moment in the veterinary community, which is this yeah. constant bombardment. I, I noticed that a yeah. famous um, insurance yeah. company have even gone into the, um, well, with vets bills the way they are. Mm. <sighs> yeah. yeah. You've got three puppies um, in that box. Yeah. Absolutely. If I could just say to, to, to the vet, the, the pet owning public, you want us to do these things, we've got to charge you because they're not free. We they're want not. to do the best we can. We want to do whatever you want us to do. Yeah. But we have to charge you. We haven't got the multi billion resources of the NHS to dip into. Everything we have is shared between a few practices. I often say it's the vet's job and responsibility to make the recommendation. It is the owner's responsibility to decide where their financial status is and what they're able to do. And neither one should judge each other for it. Absolutely. And, and I'd add to that. I think you're absolutely right, Henry, but I'd add to that. And I would add to that. But Thanks. it's the vet's responsibility after that to make the owner feel okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because the exactly. worst thing, the very worst thing we can do is to leave the owner thinking, I've made the the wrong decision yeah. about 
my pet the yep. part of my family that I love yep. and I feel I've, I've put it to sleep or I've done an op or I've not done an op yep. and and actually that was the worst thing I did because I should have not put it to sleep or I should have yeah. not done the op or I should have done the op we've got we've got to give I think them it's, informed I think it's, consent yes and I think it's a really important job for vets to support the owners yes and to make sure that they don't end up in a bad place from whatever yep. decisions they have to take because they take the dis- the best decisions they can with the information that you give them and it is not our job to judge where the pet owner is what they're doing in outside of the veterinary clinic we have to just trust our pet owners that they will let us know what's possible for them and that's what we work with we do we do because we never treat a cat we never treat a dog we always treat the dog owner combo exactly the cat owner combo exactly yeah mm. yeah wow wow well i'm there is so much <laughs> absolutely so much more we could we could do we could um we could we could talk about a lot of other things can i just say that what, yeah. what, what <laughs> we barely scratched the surface <laughs> we could yeah. You have you've given us you've given us so much to think about and to move on for mm. uh, tonight. Um, I I made uh, a CBD certificate. I, I, I figured you, you would probably uh, give us enough information for us to be able to provide our listeners and viewers yeah. with a with a CBD certificate. Yeah. Um, but because I I wrote this earlier and I didn't know an awful lot about. Um, uh, what we're going to do mm-hmm. it's going to come across as a bit fatuous and i apologize for that but here we go this is this is our certificate it says certificate self-improvement. oh perfect certificate of self-improvement and it says this certifies that you have a chance to improve your emotional intelligence which is good because you're so immature <laughs> <laughs> you obviously had somebody in mind when you wrote that yeah, I have I myself who. in mind completely, yeah. and I and I draw a picture of Mike and myself up at the sort of left hand corner there with, with, of a dinosaur, <laughs> and and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the bottom left hand corner of of Ganesha, yes, one of the uh, one of the the, the Hindu the Indian gods, yeah. who, who now I'm probably bombarded by people saying I'm completely wrong, but I think Ganesha part of Ganesha's remit is with emotions and the the number of arms of, of emotional health and intelligence there so i don't know um, if it's true but i love the image no there's a blank there mm-hmm. and the blank was because i did a picture there that i i i, I cut out and and uh, reprinted the the certificate um and the blank was of me dressed up as Henry VIII, because I know that part of your uh, your business is in teaching business leaders to be better business leaders. Yes. And I thought, well, there we go. The best business leader you can get is, is Henry VIII, because he ran the whole Tudor dynasty. But in chatting to you, I've, I've, I've removed it, because actually, no, that, that's completely the wrong uh, paradigm there. We, 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 don't, we don't want a Henry VIII. We want someone who will listen 
mm-hmm. to their staff and not and not necessarily need to listen to their staff because he or she will in, intuitively from their uh, their emotional intelligence and their built emotional intelligence be able to work out what their staff need and what their interactions with their staff are missing and yes. Henry VIII could never do that no he couldn't and however, it- however elephants can yes. so there's a picture of an elephant there's the elephant in the room as well Julian it's, <laughs> and the elephant in the room there we go and there's there's orchids because actually you know whenever you're thinking of calming things and, and going to, to one with things well orchids are are there um, and I don't even see the picture below uh, which is a group of people holding up a column. Yes. Now, this is actually from the Harry Potter world. Uh, but it, it actually, to, to my mind, I saw, I went to the Harry Potter world a, a couple of years back with my daughters and saw it. And I remember from the Harry Potter film, they had this, um, this statue. But actually, this picture here is, to my mind, symbolic of people working wrongly to to hold up something, a business, an ideal, an ideology, using negative energy. But how much better would this be if we could turn that around? We could use positive energy to actually drive whatever business, personal reaction or interreaction we use. So here we go. My little... My humble, my humble CPD certificate for the evening. Presentation. <laughs> nice. I like it, Julian. But there we go. But it's it's all it's all you know over overawed by by your presentations for tonight, Amory. I'm I think I can speak for both of us when I say wow. <laughs> I love what I do. And I love I love the fact that I'm never going to stop learning. There's always more to figure out. There's always more to learn. The pandemic has given me opportunities to start looking at different areas because I'm picking up. There's so many different challenges that people come, come out with. There are patterns emerging where I was going, hang on a second, why is this happening? And I think it's the same for everybody is that we have a choice whether we, whether we, go down a hole or whether we're willing to fight for it. Mm. Now, being willing to fight for it does not mean that it's going to happen quickly. And also, a lot of times, if people are already in the black hole, they need help. Mm-hmm. It's not something they can do on their own. It's not an easy job. It's hard work and potentially they need, and you'll know this if you work with uh, mental health and first aid, they need to see a GP. They might need to, some therapy, CPT, other things. Quite often drugs can help. And it's interesting because I used to be, when I were, was first got into behavior with animals, we often recognized that it was much easier to change the behavior if you had drugs on board. Because what the drugs do is they help combat some of those really negative neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And it seems to make it easier to learn. Mm -hmm. So I would always encourage people who are in a bad place, don't hesitate about getting antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. If that's what it takes to be able to move to a better place, then go for it. it. 
it's not a weakness, is it? It's not. It's, it's not. a strength. It's a strength yeah. to be able to reach out for help. It's a strength to be willing to do what it takes to get through a tough spot. That's strength. That's true strength in my model of the world. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much indeed. I mean, Anne-Marie, you've, you've shared... I, I can see why you enjoy your job, and that comes across. And, yeah. And um, I, I think, uh, as I said, we've both said, mind's blown. <laughs> with with this evening stuff so i think all all it reminds all it remains for me to do is to say if you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight um from Anne marie at purple cat coaching don't hesitate to get in touch check out Anne marie you've got a website i presume i do you do check out Anne marie um if you have purple cat coaching purplecatcoaching.com purplecatcoaching.com so don't forget check that out and just just ask the questions and uh, there will there are answers out there as we've learnt tonight and uh, if you ask the questions then you'll get the answers Anne-Marie Aylott thank you so very very much may your dog go with you may your dog go with you Anne-Marie thank you cheers, cheers. and cut Oh man! Wow! Well, that was fun. You've enjoyed yourself. Oh, I did. Good. Did you? Did you? Good. I love talking about these things. Absolutely love it. Absolutely. Take it. We'll, we'll, let you, we'll let you get your bed now. Yeah. All right. Off, take off care, to bed guys. with you. Go on. Off thank to bed. You. With you. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah, youngsters and I, staying and up beyond their bedtime. I, I can take a cat with me. <laughs> Yay! Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. We got quite seriously cat bombed at the latter end of this. They're all kind of like what because of course my husband can't come up and feed them because he knows that i'm doing this so he's very respectfully staying downstairs and all the cats are like it's way beyond feeding time come on <laughs> yeah, which is why the cat bombing takes place it's brilliant it just yeah. adds to the whole thing it's absolutely it fantastic and marie yeah. thank you very much indeed <laughs> you're welcome guys thank it you. was lovely meeting you i really enjoyed it pleasure was out. thank you thank, thank you so much. Right. thank you good night, good night. Bye. 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 Bye.